Um, okay, so we're going we're to start with our first talk. Um, and this weekend, um, you may be wondering kind of why you're here, okay? Um, and that's actually one of the major questions we're going to be looking at. Um, but not why you're here in this room this weekend for this time, because um, if you think about it, it's really actually a really short amount of time in the grand scheme of things um, in your life. You know, this, this like two-day thing um, to answer these big questions, but that's one of the big questions is, is why am I here? Not why am I here in this room, but why am I here? Why am I here? Um, one of the questions we all ask ourselves at different times, right? Um, but the first question is also very important because it's, it's linked directly to the second. It's who am I, right? And so those are the two questions we're gonna be looking at. Who am I and why am I here? Um, and I'd like you to consider, consider, you know, bear with me for a second, but consider this, that how you answer those questions will define the rest of your life. How you answer those questions will define the rest of your life. And I understand, you know, you're only in eighth grade. There's a lot going on right now. You know, school's crazy. Um, you got stuff at home and, and friends and all this, all these different things going on. Um, but these questions won't go away. You know, it's, it's like the thing we kind of, it's kind of kicking the can down the road. We can ignore them for a time, for a long time, in fact. But whether, you know, you're 10, you're 12, you're 14, you're 50, they'll always be there, right? Um, and your adults are here. I mean, I, I don't know if you've asked yourself this, right? But like, why are they here? Why are they giving up a weekend to spend with eighth graders? If you were in their position, is this where you would be? Why are they here? They're here because they've answered those questions or in a different way because they've found the answers to those questions. And they're here to help you to find those answers too. Um, and so I want you to kind of stop and pause for a sec um, and ask yourself this question. If someone asked you, you know, whether it was a friend or you were in a grocery store, and that's kind of weird, right? But if they asked you, um, who are you? Who are you? Um, what would you say? Like, how would you respond? What would you go into? Which part of your life would you first talk about? Would it be your family? Would it be school? Would it be something that you do outside of school, like a sport or something? How would you answer that? Like, not me or in general, but how would you answer that? Um, and I'd like you to remember that and, and kind of think, will that answer change this weekend? Will it remain the same, right? Um, so that's the, that's the question. I think a lot of our answers, though, would often revolve around inactivity, right? I'm a baseball player, I'm a dancer, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really good at math, I'm really good at history, I'm really good at science or something like that. Um, and I, I would like to kind of, kind of go into that, that we're often tempted to identify and answer that question, who we are, by identifying with what we do. Who we are by identifying with what we do. And in reality, um, I'm here to tell you tonight and, and tomorrow that you are not what you do. And that that's really problematic. And why is it problematic? Because if we identify with what we do, then we can always fail at what we do. And the problem is with that is, is that once we fail, then we don't just take it as, oh, I failed at something, so I can get back up. We take it as, I failed personally. We go, I am a failure. And that is a lie. That is a lie. You may fail at 100,000 things between now and the end of your life, and you're never a failure. Okay, but that's what the devil wants you to believe. Right? So I just want to encourage you, you're not the sports that you play. Um, you're not the friends that you have, or don't have for that matter. Um, you're not the classes that you take. You're not the high school or the college you're going to go to. Um, a lot of those things revolve around identity, but they're not, right? And I, I want to tell you, too, you're not the choices that you have made. 
Um, so if the devil is holding a sin over your head, if he's holding something over your head, you're not that. If you've lied in the past, you're still not a liar. That's not who you are, right? And that's the beautiful thing is that the devil calls us by our sins, but the father calls us by name. And whether or not you believe it, it doesn't matter. He called you by name here. From the beginning of time, from before he created everything, he knew that you would be sitting right here, right now. And he called you here to encounter you this weekend so that you could hear his voice, so that you could hear what he has to say to you. Um, this is the beauty of where we are. And, and the beautiful thing, too, is that we're not the first ones to ask this question, right? So in the Gospel of John, um, these two guys, right, it says, The next day again, John, John the Baptist, um, was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. Right? So that's from the Gospel of John, the first chapter. Um, and it's kind of weird. Here's why it's kind of weird, okay? Because you know, Jesus is walking by, which, I mean, like, Jesus never walks anywhere unintentionally, right? He's God. You know, he knows everywhere he's going. If he's going to the market that day, it's because he preordained it from the beginning of time, right? But he's walking by, John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God, which is messianic, right? And then Jesus turns around, and there's these two guys following him, which is kind of weird, right? I mean, if you were, like, in the grocery store at school or whatever, and you turn around, there were two people following you, you'd kind of be like, go away. Like, why are you following me? But he asked them a really interesting question. But if you think about it, it's weird because Jesus knows all the answers. He knows what they're going to say. He knows all the answers, but he still asks them, right? Because they need to answer. And you need to answer because he asks you the same question. He asks you the same question. The question is, what do you seek? What do you seek? And again... It's one of those questions that will define who we are, right? For example, you know, if I decided today that the most important thing to seek in my life is money, it would change everything. It would change about how much I cared about my friends. If I put money before my family and my friends, if I cared about it more than them, right? It would change, um, you know, every aspect of my life, right? Um, or power or pleasure. Insert, you know, blank idol here. Right? It would change it. So I would ask you the question again, kind of sit and consider, what are you seeking right now? What are you seeking right now? And, and don't be like, you know, do the class clown thing or the tool cool thing or whatever. Like, I see you. I, I see you. I don't just think of you as eighth graders. I know that each of you is, is deep and can think and can answer and knows. And whether or not you answer and whether or not you talk, I know that it's going on in here, right? I know that you have answers to these questions, even if you don't share them. So what is it? What is it that you're seeking right now? Is it love? Is it recognition? Is it that hope that someone will see you? Right? Is it that hope that someone will be proud of you? Right? And, and I can tell you personally, um, and, and what's interesting with these two disciples is that it's about the 10th hour 
which might be, we might be like, okay, that's just a cool fact that John included. But I want you to think about that. This gospel is written decades later, like 50 years later. And they still remember the exact hour. Why? Because they encountered a person, Jesus, not an idea, not a cool thing they do on the weekends at church, a person. And that person changed everything. And I'm standing here because that person changed everything for me. You know, I can tell you when I thought I found the answer, I was, I was about your age. And I looked around in my family. I have two brothers and I have mom and dad, you know. Um, they were really stressing. Like, we were uh, kind of paycheck to paycheck family, which meant that um, we kind of made enough money to survive for two weeks in the hopes that in two weeks to come, we would get enough money to survive for another two weeks, right? And so I saw this as a young person who didn't, didn't have a job. I couldn't have a job yet. And, and my dad, you know, working so hard, my mom working so hard, two jobs on the side, you know, to, to make ends meet. Um, and, and so I decided that my purpose, what I sought, was to make enough money to provide for my family. You know, not my future family, like down the road, but just so that my dad and my mom wouldn't have to work so much. Because I thought that if they didn't have to work so much, then everything would be totally great. Right? That's what I sought. And at first, you know, that's like, it looks like a really good thing to do. It looks like a really good thing to do. But if you look a little deeper... You know, who was I relying on? Myself. Who did I think had all the answers? Myself. Who was I seeking? Myself. Right? And that came with years of reflection, but it's, it's really a question of, like, who do we rely on? Right? Um, and I, I held with this purpose for quite a while until I met a person. I met a person. It was my freshman year of college. I went on a retreat, you know. And I didn't know what a retreat was at the time. I knew less than you all know. Um, and I went into adoration, like we will, in, in just a few minutes, in about an hour, right? Um, and, and the Lord, Jesus, was in the Eucharist, right? In the monstrance, which is the gold thing, right? That's what I called it at the time. And uh, he revealed himself to me. And he said, you know, I've always been there. I'm here, and I've always been there. Even though you've been running away from me, I've always been there for you. And I remember that hour because that hour of my life changed everything, changed everything. Um, but I want to kind of take it back a little um, because at that time, you know, I realized that not only did Jesus love me, but his father, God the Father, loves me unconditionally, okay? Um, and I'd like to just go into um, the first chapter. You know, if you want to look at how a story starts, it gives you a lot of clues um, of Genesis, right? In Genesis 1 um, 26 to 28, right? And God says, let us make man in our own image after our own likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Um, the beautiful thing there is that the authors of scripture only say things three times when they're really important. They don't have the word very in Hebrew. So if they want to really like emphasize something they say it three times and i want you to think about that the truth that god the father is trying to communicate out of everything you see around you all the beautiful mountains the stars the galaxies the universes the oceans that are so vast and so beautiful everything you see around you god the father thinks that you are the most important thing of all of creation of every universe and every planet out there, 
He thinks you're the most important thing. He gave everything for you. He gave his son for you. And if that does not at least gather your attention and make you take it a little bit seriously, I don't know what will, right? I, don't, I have two sons. To give one of them for someone else. What a gift. You know, what love that the father has for you, right? Um, first of all, you know, it shows us that we're made in his image and likeness. His image and likeness. Um, God does not make mistakes. God the Father does not make mistakes. You are made in his image and likeness. You carry around, you walk around in the image and likeness of God. Right? Um, and he does not make mistakes. Who you are is directly related to the love that God the Father has for you. So even if there are parts of yourself that you don't like, God the Father loves you. He sees all that and he still loves you infinitely, beautifully, right? Um, he created you not because he needed you. He does not need us to worship him. He is perfect in himself. He doesn't need us to add anything to who he is. He created you because he wanted to. He created you because he thought that you would like it. Um, and this is really beautiful. In baptism, not only are we kind of changed, right, as you guys have learned over the years, but we're also adopted. Every one of us is adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High King. That is who we are. Um, so if we look at the question, you know, am I important to God? I think a lot of us think that, right? Because we go through suffering and, uh, you know, suffering can make us kind of feel like, okay, is he really there? You know, is he really there for me? Does he really care? Um, and obviously, you know, it's, it's beautiful, right? In, in Genesis, we are creating the image of God. Um, John says that we become children of God. His children, his children, right? Um, and I was—I spent a lot of time with my kids this morning, right? And how I look at them, and how I love them, and how precious they are to me—that is how God the Father looks at you, except more perfectly, because I'm flawed. I only see them part of the way. God the Father sees you, sees all of you, all the way, right? Um, and we are given a special purpose by God, right? So that goes to that second question. So the first question: Who are we? Who are we? We're not just dancers or good at math or baseball players. All that falls short. Those are only things, passing things, right? Who are we? We are sons and daughters of the Most High King who loved us so much that he's, he sent his son to lay down his life for us. That is who we are. That second question, right? Why are we here? Because he's given you a special purpose in this life that no one else can fulfill. No one else can fulfill. He, he didn't have a plan B. He didn't have a backup plan. If you don't fulfill your purpose while you're here, no one else will. He's given you the capacity, the ability to help him to make creation more perfect. Think about that. Like, he's given you the ability to help him make creation more perfect. Um, how beautiful, right? Um, and so he invites you into a relationship with him. Um, and that relationship was solidified when you were adopted in your baptism. But I want to invite you this, you know, today and tomorrow to really ask the question of how you're going to respond to that relationship and how you've responded lately. Like, have we ignored him? Have we ignored him? Or have we believed the lies that he's not really there? 
if he doesn't really care about me? What have we believed, right? Um, and I want you to take the opportunity to allow him to remove those lies and those walls that we've built up, right? Because sin, you know, at the end of the day, um, is us just putting other things in between us and him. And when we go to confession, when we, when we stand before him and we go to confession, we ask for his forgiveness, we're taking away those things that we have put in between us and him so that we can get closer to him because he never leaves us. He never walks away, right? He is always there with open arms waiting to welcome us back. Um, and that's a beautiful thing. Okay, so this weekend, um, you're gonna go into small group and you're gonna have the adult leader ask questions and the easiest thing to do is gonna be sit there silently and stare at them. Um, and I want to really discourage you from doing that um, for two reasons. One, you only get in what you, you only get out what you put in, right? So if you wanna grow in your faith this weekend, if you wanna grow in your relationship with the Heavenly Father, then you have to try. You have to try. You don't move standing still, right? The second reason is, is because if you don't choose to participate, if you choose not to say the things that we know that are on your mind, that we know you're thinking about, the people in your small group, the other young people there, lose. They lose. Because God the Father doesn't just speak to you into your head with words. He speaks to you through other people. And so that thing that you should have said that you didn't say because you were too embarrassed to say it, someone else might have needed to hear at that time and won't hear because you chose not to say it. That's just the reality, right? So I invite you to go into Smart Group this weekend and be open, not only open um, to what you have to say to what the Father is kind of leading you to talk about, but also open to, to hear what the other people in your group are saying, to be respectful enough to hear what they're saying and what God the Father is saying to you. Um, and so I just encourage you, um, you know, tonight you'll get the opportunity to go to confession. If you don't get to go tonight, you'll get the opportunity to go tomorrow. But any sins that you have on your conscience, any sins that you, you see on the examine, um, I would just encourage you to tear down the walls between you and, and God the Father. Don't carry around your sins. Don't keep carrying them around, right? Tear down the walls. I mean, if you think about it, right? My, um, my second, second boy is two, right? So he's like, yay, hi, okay? And I want you to imagine like there being walls between him and I. And would I want to leave a wall up between him so that I couldn't see him as clearly as I ought to? No, right? I would get a sledgehammer or whatever I needed to to break it down. But in confession, we're the ones with the sledgehammer. It's a pretty cool image, I think. I like knocking things down. Okay, so with that, um, we'll close um, with a quick prayer. If you join me, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, um, we thank you, um, not only uh, for the gift of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, but also for the gift of our baptism. And so we ask that you would send the Holy Spirit um, to enliven our hearts and our minds, to draw us closer to you, that we may knock down the walls that stand between us and come to love you more. And we ask all these things to Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, Always there for you. So.
again. When I was younger, when I was your age, I only went to confession when my mom made me, which was usually like once a year. I think it was Lent or Advent or maybe both. Like she'd be like, okay, we need to go to confession. And I'd be like, no, I hate going to confession. Um, I don't like thinking about everything that I did wrong. I hate waiting in line. It was like all the bad things together. But um, when I got to college, I went on a retreat where I encountered Jesus in a very powerful way. And I had the choice to go to confession and nobody was making me go. And I chose to go. And uh, for the first time, I really encountered the mercy of God. And for the first time, even though I had been to confession before, um, I truly sensed and I knew in my heart that I was free from all of the sins that I'd been struggling with in the past. Even the ones that were bad habits and I knew I would probably do again, I knew that I was free from them and I'd never felt such gratitude in my life. And it helped me to trust in the Lord just a little bit more. Um, and there are a couple of different things that keep us from having a deeper relationship with Jesus. There's four things that I'm gonna list right now. And the first one is, like I just said, a lack of trust in God's goodness. Um, the second one is our choices, right? We have free will. The third one is distractions. It's all sorts of distractions that can get between us and Jesus. And the fourth is our sin. And I'm gonna kind of focus on talking about sin right now. But there's a really good quote from the Catechism that goes like this. Man, tempted by the devil, let his trust in his creator die in his heart, and abusing his freedom, disobeyed God's command. This is what man's first sin consisted of. All subsequent sin would be disobedience toward God and a lack of trust in his goodness. So any sin ever committed by anyone boils down to that. A lack of trust in the goodness of the Father and disobedience towards him. And um, when I did have that first kind of, uh, that best confession when I was a freshman in college, um, that was really made clear to me that I hadn't been trusting him. I hadn't been um, open to the Lord and giving my life over to him and trusting that he really did have my best interests at heart. And he really did um, want that for me. And when we, when we sin, often it's just that we're going after a good thing, but in the wrong way. We're going after good things out of order. The Lord wants what's good for us. He sees that there are good things that we're going to want, but sometimes we just, we go about them in the wrong way. Just like Adam and Eve, they were reaching for something good, but God had told them, no, this is not for you. This will not be good for you. So, sin is a form of slavery kind of a big word, but not literally big as in lots of words, uh, lots of letters in it, but big in the sense of the concept. Sin is slavery. Um, before, I'm just going to go again back to my story um, for context. Just before I encountered Jesus in a personal way, as I really hope that some of you got to do last night, um, I was just kind of stuck in a cycle of being selfish and committing the same sins over again and everything in my life was kind of about me and just advancing like what I wanted for my life and my plans for my life. Um, and when I confessed my sins and asked the Lord to be 
um, in charge of my life and to, um, to lead me in his will for me and to help me see what that was, um, there was freedom. And it said that where, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So when you ask the Holy Spirit into your life, he will help you to embrace that freedom that's given to us through the Eucharist and through confession. Um, but sin is, is slavery. And often it seems like we're going for something good that we want because we're free and we're free to choose and we can take that thing. We can do what we want. But it's a false kind of freedom. And bad habits, there's a reason that they're hard to break, right? Like how many of you have some sort of bad habit? Even if it's just biting your nails or something, right? Everybody has some sort of bad habit. And we can tend to think, oh, we have free will and I'm in charge of my life. I can stop whenever I want, right? But it's really hard to break a bad habit. And it is sort of like a form of slavery. Or maybe free will and activated thoughts. But Jesus came as our Savior to set us free and to help us to live a free life and break the bonds of those, of those chains. And in the, um, in the Gospel of John, he says, a thief comes only to steal and slaughter and destroy. I came so that they might have life and have it more abundantly. I don't know about you guys, but when I was younger, I definitely thought that living the Christian life kind of meant just being restricted and living in a box and living by the rules and not being free to do a lot of things, but that's really not what it is. Following Jesus gives you the freedom to live your life fully, to be free to love as we ought to, selflessly, to be free from bad habits of sins of vices. So shifting gears a little bit, I wanna talk a little bit about baptism. I know you guys are here for confirmation, but it all starts at baptism, right? So when, how many of you are baptized? Good, good. How many of you are baptized as a baby? Anybody baptized when you were older? Okay. Um, so when you're baptized, one of the things that you receive, obviously you join the family of God. You're adopted as a, father, a, a child of God the Father. And you receive this birthright, this inheritance of heaven, which is... Um, Amazing. It's, I mean, it's hard to put into words, but hard to imagine. But we receive the birthright of heaven. It's something that he is saying, this is something you will inherit. And St. Paul talks about it like we are co-heirs with Christ, like an heir and this our inheritance. However, it's also something that's very easily forfeited. We give it up through our sin, through our, our choices, and through that abuse of freedom. Do you guys remember the story of Jacob and Esau in the Old Testament? Esau was the hairy one, right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. So... Their, their father was Isaac, and Jacob and Esau are brothers. Esau's the older one. He's hairy. I don't know why that's like all he's known for. But he was really hungry, and Jacob was like, here, have a bowl of lentils, and I will get your birthright, like they traded, because Esau was hungry. I like lentils, but I like weird things. Like, they're not really worth your birthright. Um, it's kind of like soup. But like, anyway, the point is we tend to do the exact same thing. Like we have this great inheritance of heaven and all the Lord is saying is follow me and um, live as my child and live in my commandment, follow my commandments. Um, and we're just like, well, I'm kind of hungry. I'd rather just do this instead. 
I don't really feel like praying. I'm really tired. I'd rather talk with my friends. I know I should just like study really hard, but it's so much easier just to cheat. There's all these things that are just a shortcut and immediate gratification. And that's what sin is, right? We're going after a good thing. Like Esau needed food, food's a good thing. But what did he forfeit in exchange for a bowl of lentils? So that's kind of what we do when we sin. Jesus, um, Jesus says, he's kind of talking about this, how um, although heaven is, is the birthright of those who are baptized, it can be forfeited, it can be lost. He says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. But those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So not only is it it's hard to be a Christian, right? It's, it can be hard at times to follow Jesus, but sometimes it's even hard to find the way, like let alone walk down the road. It's hard to find the way. And praise God that you are here today. You have a community and people who care about you who want to help you to learn to live that Christian life, to find the way. And the scriptures give us that way too. Heaven is offered to us and it's opened to us in our baptism. And by the way, the Father never rescinds that invitation. He never takes it back. The invitation's always there no matter how we respond to it, which is why, praise God, we have confession. So when we go off the path, when we go after whatever we want, that's not Jesus. We have the opportunity always to go back. And it sounds easy, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes we're prideful and we don't want help or we don't want to admit that we're wrong or we don't want to ask forgiveness of other people. But that chance is always there. Jesus desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's from 1 Timothy, that's St. Paul. Jesus desires everyone to be saved. Sometimes people in the Old Testament, like looking at the Old Testament, wonder why was it Israel that was the chosen people? Why are they so special? But it wasn't that Israel was special, it was that God chose them to bring the good news to everyone. So Israel was like the vessel through which God would reach the entire world, which is exactly what happened, right? In the end, after Jesus resurrected and rose, um, ascended into heaven, there was pretty much just a small group of followers, but when the Holy Spirit came down at Pentecost, immediately everything just exploded and, and went to the ends of the earth. And now we have the whole worldwide church. So I'm going to read you a passage from the book of Revelation at the end of the Bible that kind of it, it illustrates for us like what we inherit in heaven, but also um, what, how it is for those who choose to give it up. So kind of the contrast here. This is from Revelation 22 at the very, very end of the Bible. Look, I am coming soon. This is Jesus speaking. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they might have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates to the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, 
have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. So that was a warning that Jesus gave through the Apostle John of what happens if we choose those other things instead of living in him, being in Christ, following the commands, um, taking advantage of the sacraments, living as a member of the body of Christ, the church. And then St. Paul talks in Ephesians about, he kind of lists things that have no place in the family of God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no sexually immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. So this is a really strong warning, right? We don't really hear people speak so boldly about these things um, anymore, but or often anymore. But he's saying like these these evil things are out there, and not only should you like you know try not to do that, but like like flee away from them. I mean, looking back on my life when I was a teenager, I see so many things and like unhealthy friendships that I wish I had just like run away from because they were bad for me. They taught me to. They taught me bad things, um, and I would have been so much better off if I had just said thanks, but no thanks. I don't want that in my life. Mark, how much time Sorry. Okay, thanks. Um, so just, I encourage you to kind of think about like wh- what things in your life are keeping you from the Lord? What are temptations or sources of temptation that are like a poison, that are tempting, but are going to lead to you straying from the path of, to your sinning. Because that is what will keep you from um, a deeper relationship with our Lord. Um, but be not afraid, um, because you have confessed your sins and you've been reconciled to God. Um, and like I said at the very beginning, you're going to have like virtually limitless opportunities to go to confession for the rest of your life. And that's good. Like Going to confession is not like, the walk of shame. It's you're walking to your father who is going to forgive you. I love St. Therese of Lisieux. And when she was little, she, like if she did something wrong, she would like run to her parents and like eagerly confess. I was not like that, but she is. And I just think there's a lot to learn there. She just trusted them. She knew that they would forgive her. And she was just so ready to confess. And then later as she grew older, that was how she treated Jesus too. She would just immediately confess. Um, so if that sounds really, really hard for you, um, maybe ask the Lord for that grace to just be bold in your, in the confession of your sins. Don't hide them. Like he knows they're there. Don't try to hide. Um, he knows they're there and he doesn't look upon them and scold you and shame you. He doesn't do that's what the devil does. That's what the devil does. The devil calls you by your sin, but the father calls you by your name. So don't call yourself by your sin either, by the way. That's very easy to do. Like if there's something in particular, your biggest sin that you just 
when you're really not liking yourself, that's what you're calling yourself by. That's what you're thinking about. That's what the devil does. That's not what God the Father does. That's not who you are. Jesus died on the cross because of your sins and for you, for your sins, that you would be free. You can't undo it. There's no like shame that you can have about your sin that's going to undo the fact that he died for you. It already happened, and it applies to every sin. He did it for you. He just wants you to accept that gift and be free. Because you can be free. You have been freed. Ask him to help you to understand the freedom that you have obtained from your confession. I got to visit the Holy Land when I was a freshman, in, or like after my freshman year of college. And I got to go to the place where Jesus died on um, the hill of Calvary. There's a very big church built right there. And I had this sensation that I really couldn't explain, but it just felt like I was in the center of the world. It was weird. It was like kind of like a magnet, like a magnetism of like, it's almost like that was like the pole of the world, that it like everything rotated on that spot. Like that was the center of the earth. And it was later when I started um, praying the Liturgy of the Hours and the Psalms that I, saw, I, I found this line that says, Mount Zion, true pole of the earth. And I was like, wow, that's like what I experienced on the hill. Um, it was crazy because Mount Zion is not exactly where Jesus died, but it's Jerusalem. It's Jerusalem. And, you know, that line from the psalm is basically saying everything revolves around it. Like, that's where heaven touches earth. earth. That was where the Jews would experience God and encounter him face to face in the temple. And then Jesus, you know, ramped it up to an even higher level when he died in Jerusalem. And that became the point of salvation for the entire world. And having been there, I can tell you, it really, it really feels that way too. So, Jesus, moving on to um, mercy. Talked a lot about sin, but mercy. Mercy that you experienced last night in confession. Um, in the New Testament, Jesus is the just most eloquent um, example and the um, picture of mercy in the whole Bible. He's never vague in his proclamation of God's mercy. He's very direct. He doesn't um, talk about it in, in parables. Well, he does use parables, but he doesn't talk about it in vague ways. He goes up to people and he physically heals them. He gives them mercy. He says it straight up to their face in front of other people. Um, he's an active agent of God's mercy. He confronts the crowd that's about to stone the woman. He weeps at the tomb of Lazarus. He, and then of course, ultimately takes all the sins of the world up to Calvary and dies for them, for us. And then of course, as you already know, he extends that mercy to us through confession. When he, after he'd risen from the dead, he visited his apostles in the upper room and he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So that was when Jesus gave the apostles the gift of confession for the priests to give to us. St. John Chrysostom, who's a doctor of the church, a saint, doctor of the church means he knows what he's talking about. Um, he said, be ashamed when you sin, but do not be ashamed when you repent. These are two things, sin and repentance. Sin is a wound, repentance is a medicine. Just as there are for the body wounds and medicine, so for the soul are sins and repentance. 
However, sin has the shame, and repentance possesses the courage. Repentance requires courage, especially in admitting that you're wrong, or in facing something that you don't want to think about. If there's a bad habit, or a sin, or a vice that you're struggling with that you can't shake, it takes courage to look it in the eye, and to say you don't want it anymore, and to work really hard not to do it anymore. But going to confession is the medicine for the wound, and also it's strength for the next time. So you don't have to wait until your next retreat to go to confession again. Go all the time, like anytime that you can, because even if you're just, you can only think of one sin, you're still getting grace to do better the next time. I can't overstate this. Um, just go. It, it's good. It, it's hard sometimes, but you're receiving grace for healing, but for strengthening too. And you need it. Everyone needs it, but not enough people go. That's just true. Not enough people go enough. So I encourage you to just um, take some tidbit that you've learned, um, whether it was from this talk, from your confession last night, or your time with Jesus. Take it into your prayer. Don't forget it. Just pray about it. Bring it to the Lord again. And um, ask for the strength. Ask for the reminder to go to confession. Help him to, or ask him to help you remember to go. Um, if you find yourself struggling to trust in the goodness of God, his goodness as a father and his good plan for you and his mercy for you, then ask him for greater faith in that area too. Um, because the Lord loves you and he just wants you to come home. Every single time you leave home, just come home. That's all it really is. So um, let's end in a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Dear Jesus, we praise you and we thank you for this great opportunity this weekend to encounter you. Thank you so much for the healing and the mercy that you poured out last night. Please help everyone here to keep an open mind and an open heart to let you in more this weekend. I ask that you would prepare these teens for this sacrament of confirmation um, with a greater love for you and a greater trust in you. Don't let their trust in their creator die in their heart, but help them to believe in your mercy and to run to you whenever they, whenever they run away. Just help them to run home and to trust in you, to love you, and to desire heaven above all. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Catherine. I lasted all your words. We're part of the covenant, okay? The, the Lord God made... Um, this covenant with them and uh, these blessings and curses were part of it but they're kind of a natural part they're not something he added on right it wasn't like oh if you don't love me you know i want to add a bunch of punishments on that's not how how he did it okay if he is life itself if he is good and indeed goodness itself if he is kindness itself if he's all the virtues if he's perfect then necessarily Turning away from him is turning away from all of those things. Do you see how this works? It's not like he, he added on some punishment because he wanted to get back at them. 
right? He's not like that. It's just that if you turn away from him, what are you going to find? Not him, necessarily nothing, right? Um, and so they said yes to the covenant, and the Israelites, you'll see this throughout the Old Testament, they promised to be faithful, um, and if they lived in that relationship with him, with goodness itself, with beauty itself, right, with truth, um, then they would receive the blessings of the covenant, because being in relationship with him is that blessing, obviously. But if they turn away from him, if they worship other gods, right, um, empty things, then what do they get? They get emptiness. They get emptiness. This is pretty easy to see in the Israelites' case, right? Like we can, we can see, okay, the Lord is good. If you turn to him, you'll get goodness. If you turn away from him to these empty idols who are just wood and stone, you'll get nothing because they can't give you anything because they're just idols, right? We see that in their case. It's very simple. Do we see it in our own? Do we see it for us, right? It's the same story. We're in the same story. We're in the same place. Right? We can either choose to worship the one true God, or we can worship other things. But if we worship other things, we get the same result. It's like trying the same thing over you know, thousands and thousands of years. Humanity's been going through it. They either worship the one true God, or they turn away to idols. The idols today are just different. They're actually the same, but they're kind of like, they've got like a new veneer on, you know, like money, pleasure, power, you know, um, wanting to rule other people. Wanting to have my way all the time. You know, it's my will. And we go back. This goes back all the way to the beginning, right? You know, um, Satan. His famous phrase, I will not serve. I will not serve. And I wonder, for us, have we considered, which will I say? Yes, Lord, I will serve you. Or no, Lord, I will not serve you. We always serve someone. The choice is simply who we serve. We either serve the Lord or we serve someone else, whether it's ourself, whether it's another person, whether it's another thing. If we make money the most important thing in our life, like Catherine was talking about, we become slaves to it. That's who we end up serving, right? We always end up serving someone. Um, and so Joshua, who was a leader of the Israelites, he knew this, and he also knew that they had not been faithful, right? He knew that they had turned away to the different idols, um, and so he brings them to a valley with, um, with two mountains on either side. Um, and he puts uh, certain people on one side to read the blessings. And he puts certain people on the other to read the curses of the covenant. And he puts the Israelites in the middle. And what he does is he looks at them and he says, choose. Choose. You will either serve the Lord or you will not. Choose the blessings or choose the curses. And he says, he, he obviously, being a good leader, he says, choose life that you may live, but there's always a choice, right? Um, and I think, you know, as he, as he sets the Ark of the Covenant there and his blessings on one side and curses the other, um, they, would turn, they would turn to hear them. So if they're reading on the blessings on the side, they would turn to hear the blessings. And then if they were hearing the curses, they would turn to hear the curses. And what does that show us, right? Um, is they, in order to go toward one, um, they had to turn their back on the other, right? We can't walk around with our feet pointing in two different directions. I mean, imagine trying to ski doing that, right? Um, you would very, very quickly eat snow, right? Imagine doing any other activity, trying to walk two different ways at once. You don't go anywhere, right? We always have to point in one direction. We have to, um, we have to pick, we have to choose, right? Um, it's like a car, 
Um, you know, um, what's interesting about us is we're made for worship. Like, that's what we're created for. I don't know if you've ever asked that question, right? Like, everything else around you has a purpose. Everything you see. You know, tile is made for the floor. You know, buildings are made for people to walk in. Hammers are made to hit things with. Um, phones are made to call, to text, whatever. You know, cars are made to drive people places. But what are you made for? You're made for worship. Which is why we always end up worshiping something. Right? You'll notice people who have never encountered God always end up worshiping something. It's just a different thing. It's either someone else, another human being. They're the center of my world. They're everything in life. If I, I don't know what I do with all this certain stuff. Right? They're either money. You know, I need just to make a little bit more and then I'll be okay. Right? Pleasure. Oh, I just need to get this next thing. This next cool thing. I need the iPhone 12. Why? Because it has three cameras. Who uses three cameras on one phone? I don't know, right? Um, you know, I need power. I need to be able to tell other people what to do. And then finally I'll feel fulfilled. We always end up worshiping something because we're made for worship. You can't change how you're made. A car, you know, I can't go and put canola oil in my car and it'll run. That's not how it's made. I mean, I'll put it in the car, sure, but then it won't go anywhere. You know, it won't go anywhere. It'll be a very nice paperweight, look very nice, you know? Uh, but it won't go anywhere, okay? It's not what it's made for. Um, and so in this way, right, we have to make a choice. And I think at your age, you know, you might be thinking, well, I'm only in eighth grade. So do I have to make the choice today? You know, can I make that choice when I'm an adult? When I'm an adult. Well, the interesting thing is, you know, um, if we left from this point right now, okay, um, and we wanted to go to the moon, right? If we were off by a degree, we would miss the moon by hundreds of miles. We'd miss the moon by hundreds of miles. What does that show us? Our trajectory, our destination, where we're going. If we're off by a degree, we miss, right? So yes, you know, you're in eighth grade, but where are you going? Because your trajectory matters. Because where you're aiming for matters. Because we can't afford to be off by a degree. We can't afford to put a decision off that will affect the rest of our life. And that decision is very simple. Who do you serve? Right? So you all have your Bibles. I think most of you do. Please take out your Bible um, and go to the first page of the Psalms. Okay, that's in the Old Testament. It's after the book of Job. Um, and it's before Proverbs. It's in between those two. Uh, we will look it up. Whoever gets the page first. I think a lot of you have the same Bible. Uh, 628. A lot of people have. Okay. Um, so yeah. So if you just go to that first page of the Psalms. Take your time. No rush. Um, we're just going to read some of the first psalm. Okay. There's 150. 150 psalms. But the writer of the Psalms puts this one first, which is really interesting because the writer of the Psalms knew this about each of you. He knew this about me, right? That we have to, we have to choose, we have to choose a direction, okay? And so this, this is what it says. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. 
He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Right? That's a, that's a great psalm to pray with. Why? Because it's so clear. Because it's so clear. I know that we live in a culture that's like, you know, like whatever you believe is right. I mean, you know that's nonsense. You know, I mean, you know. Like it take, you know, you ask a five-year-old, like what's right and what's wrong. They know. They know when it, what's not right. I mean, they know that there is a right and a wrong, right? And, and we live in a culture with so much confusion, with so much, oh, different directions. You can be anything you want, all this different stuff. And it just, it ends up confusing you more. It ends up throwing more in front of you, right? The psalmist here, very clear. There are two ways. At the end, there's only two ways. The righteous and the wicked. Pick one. Go a direction. And we know we can't go in the middle, right? And I know a lot of us too, you know, we might think, well, the middle is kind of a safe place to be, Mark, you know, because at the end of it, you know, you can kind of watch where one way is going, the other way is going, and you just pick one at the end, you know? This is not a thing where we can sit on the fence, right? We can't, like, put off the decision and be like, oh, it'll be all right. It'll be fine, you know? Um, this is one of those things where, again, it's trajectory. It's where are we going, right? We have to choose. Um, and so we're, we're made for this, um, and it's this way vividly, right? Um, that we can't be lukewarm, um, and we can't get comfortable. Um, you know, I, I like comfort as much as the next guy, you know, like a sweatshirt, you know, good shoes, whatever, you know. Um, I, I love air conditioning. I'm really glad I was born at the time I was born in, because if I was born before air conditioning, it would not have gone well with me, right? Um, but uh, I like comfort. But in our faith, you know, we can't get comfortable because we're not made for it, you know? We're not made for comfort. Um, we're made for greatness. And in this way, you know, good people, you know, we, we often aim to be good, not saints. For some reason, we think that being a saint is impossible. That it's, that it's possible for someone else, but not for us. The reality is that all of you, all of you are made to be saints in the same way that a car is made to run. All of you are made to be saints in the same way that a car is made to run. It's, it's what you're made for, right? Um, and the reality is, is that good people don't go to heaven. Only saints go to heaven. Good people don't go to heaven. Only saints go to heaven. Do I mean that good people, like if, if a person is good, then they're going to hell? No, that's not what I mean. What I'm saying is that we're, what we're aiming for, right? To be a saint is to be in heaven. So everyone who ends up in heaven is a saint, right? So we can't just aim for good. You know, we can't just aim a little lower because we think we can't do it. The reality is, is that all of you are made to be saints. All of you have it within you to be a saint. Um, and that's what we have to respond to. Um, so when we're baptized, you know, every, every one of you, um, you, you know, a lot of you are baptized as babies. I believe in you. Raise your hand. Um, and so um, at your baptism, not only did you kind of commit to being part of this really cool family, which is great. Um, or if you're a baby, someone committed on your behalf, okay? Um, but they also did a few other things. You made the, the following promises. 
following promises, okay? Um, and I don't know if you made these, because you know, I hope you're keeping them, but um, the first one, um, to reject Satan. To reject Satan, right? Um, and at the first thought, you, know, you might be like, well, that's pretty easy. You know, like, he's obviously not a good guy, so reject him, right? Um, but remember, to reject Satan is also to reject what he said. I will not serve. I will not serve, right? To reject Satan is also to reject what he said, right? Um, all, his, all his works, so everything he does, right? Um, obviously sin, all things like that, and all his empty promises. All his empty promises. Notice the words are there. Empty promises. Why do, we, why do we highlight empty promises? Because the God, the Father, makes his promises, but he actually comes through on them. Every single one he comes through on. He doesn't make promises that turn out to be empty. He makes promises that it might take a year, it might take two years, it might take five years, it might take ten years, but he always comes through, right? And so if you're on this retreat, one of the questions I would be asking, you know, is God the Father, what promises do you have for me? What do you have in store for me? Because one thing we haven't talked enough about this weekend is that when you choose life, when you go with him, he has abundant blessings. And I want you to think right now, and take a, take a moment and think, like, if, if you're 10 years from now, how good could your life be? Like, imagine it the best that it could be, right? What, whatever that looks like for you, imagine it the best that it could be. God the Father wants it to be better than that. Because he can do more than your imagination can. He's more creative than your imagination. He wants more for you than you want for yourself, right? Those are the promises that he wants to bring forth for you. Um, and at your confirmation in March, um, you'll renew these promises. You'll renew these promises and be strengthened to live as Jesus calls you to, to live as he calls you to. Um, so I want to go through kind of three quick stories to um, or examples for this. Um, and the first is the empty tomb. Okay, um, and it's interesting if you were gonna kind of fake the resurrection story, um, if you were gonna try and you know make up a fake story um, for that, then what you would do is you would have several Jewish men um, go um, on on that Sunday morning to the tomb um, and find the empty tomb and then come back immediately and tell the temple people. That's what you do, okay? Um, but instead, what we find um, is a single. Jewish woman going to the garden, going to the empty tomb, and not finding the body. Um, and then she meets someone that she thinks she is the gardener, right? And as you probably know, it's actually Jesus. But I don't know if you remember how she figures out who he is. She figures out who he is because he calls her by name. He says Mary, right? And if you've never done this, I would encourage you to look up that scripture um, and to put yourself in that scene and to imagine Jesus calling you by name. Because that's what we're choosing when we choose life. We're not just choosing an idea or a way of living or a few commandments to follow. We're choosing a person. We're choosing a person. We're choosing to follow a person who calls each of you by name, who wants each of you to follow him personally so that you can be in relationship with him. Okay, so that's the first story. Um, the second story is of St. Paul, who before he became a Christian, um, 
was a brilliant Jew. Um, he was going to persecute the church and to throw them in jail. He had permission to do so. Um, he was kind of the best of the best of his time, which is saying a lot um, because he would he would memorize the laws. He you know he knew he knew a lot, um, and he was the best of the best for the Pharisees and the Jews. Okay, um, and you have to ask yourself. He goes from persecuting on the way to persecute the church in Damascus, right? He goes from on the way to arrest them, to throw them in jail for what they believe, to fully believing it and professing it. And I would encourage you to think, okay, so what would make a man turn around like that? I would, I would encourage you to think, you know, it's not an idea. It's not a set of ideas. It's not a thing. It's a person, right? St. Paul on the road to Damascus encountered Jesus the person of Jesus. And that, that is what turned his whole life around. That is what turned everything around for him, okay? And then the third story, really quick, um, is if you've never heard of him, St. Thomas Aquinas, he's a really cool guy. He wrote a lot, okay? And he wrote so well that the Lord one day, he was, he was praying, and the Lord looked at him and he said, um, you've written well of me, Thomas. So he's speaking directly to him. He says, you have written well of me, Thomas. What would you have as your reward? I mean, that's pretty cool. It's Jesus, right? He can do anything. So I want you to think for a second, like, what would you ask for? You know, some of you are probably like a car, like a really nice car. You know, if you go bigger, you could ask for like a new house or whatever. Like, I don't know. What would you ask for? For a reward, you know, like a million dollars? Okay. Um, this is what Thomas asked for. He says in Latin, um, non nisi te domine, which means um, nothing if not you, Lord. Nothing if not you, Lord. Nothing if not you, Lord. I mean, okay, so first you might be like, okay, so he was crazy. Like, he could have gotten a car and he didn't get a car. They didn't have cars back then. But the point is, the point is, okay, imagine a really good friendship. Okay, imagine a really good friendship. Okay, and your friend has been such a good friend to you that you look at them and obviously you have a lot of money, you have anything you need, right? And you say... Hey, you've been a really great friend to me. Like, what would you like as your reward for being a good friend to me? What would you like as a reward? What if that friend looked at you and said, just to be your friend? They could have had anything, but they just want to be your friend, right? That's what Thomas is saying. He just wants Jesus because Jesus is a person um, that wants to be in a relationship with him just as he wants to be in a relationship with you. Um, so I just, you know, I don't know if I've reminded you this enough this weekend, but you know, God the Father sent his son Jesus to die for your sins, to save you from your sins, specifically individually, right, um, from your sins. Um, and so we're inviting you, as Jesus has called each of you to follow him, to make a decision, not to sit on the fence, not to be too cool for it, not to kind of ignore it until later, right, but to make a decision this weekend to follow Jesus with everything that you are and everything that you have. To follow him. We are inviting you. Remember, not forcing you, not making you, you know, not um, manipulating you or anything like that. We're inviting you. And you have the free will. You have the choice to, you know, go left or go right. The curses or the blessings. Death or life. You have the choice. But that's the choice before you. And so we, we invite you today um, to trust him. To trust him, as Catherine talked about um, in her talk. You know, I think we, we go through so much of life and we think, okay, 
I'm struggling, I'm alone, I'm, you know, who's there for me? Who truly understands? He does. He does. So we're inviting you to trust him. Um, and as we go into small groups now, I would encourage you to be open um, to talking about this, to talking about where you're at um, in this question of following him um, and, and to kind of go from there. So we'll end with a quick prayer. So this talk is, is labeled the uh, going forth talk, right? Father talked about this a little bit this morning at the end of Mass, right? When we finish Mass, to be honest, a lot of us are like, okay, good. Mass is over now. I can get on with my way. But what Father is actually sending you out to do, as he said, is to go out and share the gospel, share your faith, right? And that can be sort of an awkward thing. It's like, ooh, how do I share my faith? Well, we're going to talk about that a little bit. So we, Mark started off the very first talk with two questions. Does anybody remember what those were? Uh, who we are and what we're here, why we're here. Right. Who are you? Why are you here? And now my question that I get to end the day with is, where are you going? Right? Where are we going? Where do we go when we go forth out of here, right? So we've had talks about who we are, what is our identity, what separate, who is God, and then what separates us from God, right? And now we're going to talk about what, is, what does all of this mean? What's the takeaway, as we like to say in my business? Where are we going? The idea here is not just, okay, we got the check in the box, we've done confirmation retreat, that's done. Right now I'm gonna go home, hang out for the rest of the day, play my Xbox, maybe go outside. But now it's going to be, what will change in your life when you go home? So, let's ask a couple of questions. When you go home and Monday, of course, you go back to school, school gonna be any different? No. It's just going to be the same. It'll be the same, right? You're still going to face, you know, it would be nice to say, oh, we went to confirmation retreat in, so now the rest of my life will be filled with puppies and unicorns. But it doesn't work that way, sadly. Right? You're going to go home, and you're still going to face the challenges that are, that are still there, that you face, right? And that's really not what we like. You know, we would like to have a life that's carefree, no worries, no problems, don't worry, be happy. That's a song from the 80s, and not worried that any of you don't know that. A little saddened, though, but not worried. What's different, though, hopefully, is how you live your life. Not that your life and all the struggles and, that are there, but that you live your life a little differently. You start to live your life more like a Christian, right? And hopefully you talked about that in some of your small groups. What does the life of a Christian look like? What does a Christian look like if they are trying to faithfully follow Christ? Okay? Does anybody think that's particularly easy to do? Anybody? Okay, good. Nobody's raising their hands. Good, because it isn't. It's challenging, right? It is challenging to be a follower of Christ. One of the passages that Mark uh, read this morning, I'm going to read it again because it is very important. The Christian life can be a bit of a challenge, right? We will continue to struggle with sin, right? We will continue to struggle with um, 
how to draw closer with Christ. But in John 10.10, which Mark read earlier today, 10.10 ends with, I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Right? So, one of the things that we find is that the, or one of the questions that we asked in small groups, right? I asked my guys this twice, and I'll probably ask them this one more time. I said, what do you expect to get out of this weekend? Why are you here besides your parents made you come, right? And a lot of them said, well, I want to get to know God better. I want to get closer to God. Okay, that's an excellent answer. How do we do that? How do we start to get closer to Christ? So I would offer up four things, okay, that are applicable and that will help you get closer to Christ. The first one is, and this is should be a no-brainer. How do we get closer to God? We pray, right? The first thing is prayer, all right? And I know a lot of you may say, well, you know, how do I pray? When do I pray? What do I pray? And the answer is, there's really no right answer. Prayer is a conversation between you and God. Now, I can tell you from personal experience that God does hear your prayers. He does. But, as I told my, uh, my small group when we were talking about prayer, God's not an ATM, right? Wouldn't it be great if you could walk up to the you know, God prayer ATM, put in your ATM card, say, God, I really want a red Ferrari. You hit the right button, and bam, out comes a red Ferrari, right? That would be pretty awesome, but it doesn't work that way. My, uh, my wife, who... Um, has taught me a great deal about prayer, says that when we pray to God, we usually get one of three answers. Yes, no, or wait. And it's that third answer that usually drives us crazy because we don't like to wait on things. We want an answer now. God, I prayed for this and you didn't give me the answer. We usually say, God, you didn't give me the answer I wanted. But we say, you didn't give me the answer. And sometimes God is preparing us for the answer. Because I can tell you, God answers prayers. Sometimes it can take years. But he does answer them. St. Saint, uh, John Paul says, Prayer joined to sacrifice constitutes the most powerful force in human history. So every week you have the opportunity to pray when you come to Mass, right? That's a gimme. Um, as Father says, they have adoration here every day. That's another opportunity to come and pray. But prayer doesn't have to be complicated. Prayer doesn't have to take a long time, right? One of the things that we tell our teens in youth ministry when they ask how to get a prayer life going is to take the first 15 minutes of your day or the last 15 minutes of your day, because your day is busy, right? All our days are busy. We have lots of things going on. Start with the first 15 minutes or the last 15 minutes of your day, a, uh, a Hail Mary and Our Father and a Glory Be. Start with that. The key, and I can tell you this because this has been my particular struggle for a long time, is consistency. Right? That's really the key to building a good prayer life. It's not, you know, praying anything long, praying anything complicated. It's consistency. Giving the first 15 minutes in the last 15 minutes of your day to the Lord. 
okay? The second thing, and this is really, I think, kind of important. So I'm, I, I, I kind of moved the order of these around in the, uh, the outline I originally had here, is community. What do I mean by community? So as Christians, we gather together every Sunday to worship and go to Mass, right? We gather together in community. But community is something that happens all the time. We are not meant to be lone wolf Christians, right? I've had uh, a couple of um, the young men in youth ministry come up to me and says, well, I'm not really into youth ministry. I'm just going to kind of figure this out on my own. And I asked them, well, what do you mean figure this out on your own? It's like, well, I'm just going to study the Bible on my own. I'm like, hmm, okay. I said, you know, that's really not how it works, right? I said, you're meant to, to study and to learn and be in community. We haven't finished that discussion yet with that particular young man. But community is important. And I can tell you, because I've seen it, we actually have a very good community of teens here at St. Mary's that they support each other, they build each other up, they, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, they kind of keep an eye on each other, right? Because the most challenging thing you can do to a peer of yours is to say, hey, you're not really making a good choice here. You're going to do something that's going to hurt yourself or hurt somebody else. But we have a great group of teens here, and that's what they do. They, they help lift each other up, then, and they support each other through the, all the things that go on when you're a teen. The third thing, I think, is study, which, of course, is something you're doing right now as part of confirmation. All right, you can't love someone, right? We all want to love God more. We want to get closer to Christ. We want to become more like God. But how are you going to do that if you don't know what that means, right? So right now, hopefully, everybody's doing, particularly for my class, doing the weekly readings for class before we come back to class in a couple of weeks. But it's a lifelong journey. One of the really wonderful things about the Catholic faith is that there is so much to learn that there is always something new to discover about our faith. You can ask any of the adults here, if you sit down today and read a passage of Scripture, and in another year you come back and read that exact same passage of Scripture, it's going to say something totally different to you. Has the Scripture changed? No, you've changed. You're a year older. You have a, a year more of experiences. Maybe you've gone through something or experienced something that that scripture now speaks to you. So it's always good to start with the scripture, but there's all kinds of books or websites that can help you increase in your faith. Because the other thing that we tell our, our student, my students in our class is, if there's something you don't understand about the faith or that you question about the faith, that's great. Go find out. We have, we have um, uh, God is a big God, and he's perfectly fine with you asking questions and discovering, because as you discover that, you actually do draw deeper into your faith, because now you understand it 
a little better. As I tell our students, one of the things that we often answer, ask, answer and ask our students is, why do Catholics do what we do? Why do we do the things we do in Mass? Why do we say the things we did in Mass? Father did a great job of explaining the parts of the Mass today. Anybody learn anything about the Mass they didn't know today because of Father's explanation? Anybody? Excellent. Right? Even the Mass that you go to every Sunday, if you pay closer attention to the Mass, you will learn something that you probably didn't think, some aspect of the Mass that you go, wow, that's really cool. I didn't know that. The fourth thing, and this is important too, is service, right? I'm sure as part of your confirmation, you guys have to do service hours, right? Right? Do they have to do service hours? Oh, not this year. Okay. Well, in any event, typically, you guys would have to do a certain number of service hours. And how great that St. Mary's... Yeah, you have a question? I have no clue. 40? Yeah, I mean, St. Mary's has a lot of great ministries here. You know, it's typically not a problem. But service is important, right? When you go forth... Okay, how many of you want to stand on the corner and be a street preacher and talk about your Catholic faith? That's fair. Okay. Well, maybe, I, hey, good, good on you. Yeah, I mean, it can be a little awkward, right? But guess what? You don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. You can literally be an example of Christ, the face of Christ to people. I talked about this um, to my small group this morning. You can be the face of Christ to your siblings. Ooh, there's a challenge. Show mercy, forgiveness, peace to your siblings. Mm. Normally I would say to those you encounter at school, but that would be kind of a crazy thing to say today, right? So part of um, our relationship with God as we draw closer is not only just you know prayer and study and community but it's also service there is a an expectation that you are going to go out and um serve others and again like i said there's all kinds of ways to do that at saint mary of sorrows okay now the last thing because the last thing we're going to do in our small group so i'm going to kind of set you up is um when we go somewhere, when we get ready to go, who's, who's got an iPhone, right? Not with them, I hope. Who's got an iPhone, right? Like, what's the, one of the coolest things about your iPhone is the what app that you can never, ever be lost anymore? The map app. Don't you guys use the map app? No, because you don't drive anywhere. Well, let me tell you, as somebody who used to have to sit there on a long drive with the Rand McNally Road Atlas. You guys probably have no clue what that is. But in the old days, right, after Conestoga wagons, after cars, but before the internet, if you were going to take a long drive across the country, you had a big book of maps. And it would be my job, because my wife could not read a map at all, is I would sit there and navigate as we were driving across country, right? You guys, when you get to that point, can just pull up your phone, pull up your map app, go, I'm gonna go to Albuquerque. And it will give you the turn-by-turn -turn directions from wherever you live 
all the way to Albuquerque. It'll even tell you what time you're gonna get there. All the things, right? This super cool thing called GPS, right? Wouldn't it be great if we had that for life? That God would say, here's your GPS to tell you everything you need to do in life. Wouldn't it be great if we had that? Well, we kind of do. Not a perfect GPS, but we do have what was used in my day, a map and a compass, right? We have, number one, the church. We have, number two, scripture, prayer. All of those can help you guide you along your journey, but you need a plan of how to get there, right? Again, back when we had the atlas, we had to make a plan. How are we going to get there? We had to kind of figure it out and all this. So you need a plan, a plan of life. So what we're going to do next in our small groups, okay, is go over your plan of life. And I don't mean this to be complicated. I don't mean it to be intimidating. But as Mark said this morning in one of his talks, the idea of this is for you to sit down and think about who, who is, um, uh, what was it he said exactly? Who is it you follow? Right? What is important to your life? I would dare say, who is your God? What is your God? Because whatever occupies your time and attention the most is your God. And like Mark said, is that money? Is that success? Is that popularity? Is that you know, um, athletic ability? Is that spending time on your Xbox? What, is the, what, what, is, what are the things that occupy your time and attention? So we're going to go out into your small groups and we're going to take some time and this will be part of the discussion with your small groups to sort of lay out what we hope will be your plan as you go forth from here. Because, again, one of the things that I told my guys, when you stand in front of the bishop on March, okay, um, Catherine talked a little bit about it too. The baptismal um, uh, um, I just completely dropped that train of thought. Baptismal promises. Thank you. Okay, when you were baptized, because most of you are baptized at babies, your parents and your godparents said them. At your confirmation, you're going to say them. Do you, and as Mark and, and, and said, do you reject Satan, his, his empty works, his, his empty promises? So it's going to be up to you. However, I also have the great joy of saying before we break up into small groups, we have snacks too. So hopefully that will restore some of my, uh, my popularity. I know. It's all about the snacks. I that's one thing I have definitely learned about eighth graders. It's all about the snacks. So, how do we want to do that? Wait, what are we doing? Oh, they're going that way. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right, guys. Thank you, Jerry, so much for your talk.
going to go ahead and pick up a chair, head out to our small groups on your way out, and you can grab a snack. Remember to remain six feet apart. Thank you. One snack per person. One snack.